Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Thanksgiving is a significant holiday in the United States, but as the Christmas shopping season overtakes all of November, we risk being less thankful and lose focus on the source of our Thanksgiving. Teaching team member Bob Cargo brings us this message entitled Experiencing and Spreading Thanksgiving, which covers 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 16. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We want to talk today about the topic of thankfulness, uh, that attitude of the heart, and the uh, corresponding activity of the lips and the mind of giving thanks. So a thankful heart and the giving of thanks, and we want to look at that today. The title of the message is Experiencing and Spreading Thanksgiving. Uh, Not the holiday, but the attitude of heart. And actually, we'll only talk about spreading uh, Thanksgiving at the conclusion of our sermon. The rest of that might have to wait for another day. But most of this is about really experiencing this. And we'll jump right in. We want to talk about three questions related to this topic. Number one, why is thankfulness and the giving of thanks so important? Number two, uh, why don't we more deeply and genuinely experience thankfulness? And number three, how can we feed and fuel a thankful heart? How can we feed and fuel the giving of thanks in our lives? Okay, so why is this so important? Number two, why don't we experience it more deeply, more often? Those things we'll cover sort of by, in, by way of introduction. And then most of our time by looking at the scriptures will be at the third question, and that is, how can we feed and fuel this very important aspect of our hearts? But uh, before we dig into this, let's stop and let's pray, okay? Lord, we do ask you today that you would be with us here today. Lord, we, we are very mindful of uh, the weaknesses and limitations, both of the musicians that have been on this stage and now the preacher on this stage. And so, Lord, we don't look to human beings uh, to make our worship meaningful. We look to you. And so, Lord, right now we ask you that you would, by your Spirit, take your word and show us Jesus and that you would bring us closer to him wherever we are in our journey whether we've never trusted him or whether we've known him personally for years and years, Lord, we ask you that you would take this time and use it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, why is this attitude, first of all, why is this attitude of thankfulness and why is the giving of thanks so very, very important? I wanna give you two reasons. One you know intuitively and one that's from the scriptures you may not know about and you may be surprised about. The first that you know intuitively is this, is that thankfulness and the giving of thanks actually feeds happiness and hope and joy in our lives. We know experientially that a a joyfulness, a good experience of some kind, can lead to thankfulness. We also know experientially, if we're honest, that the giving of thanks actually fuels happiness. It fuels joy. It fuels hope. Now, if that's the case, and we know it experientially, Well, how many of us don't want to be happy every day? How many of us don't want to have hope every day? How many of us don't want to have joy every day? So if you're interested in joy and in hope and in happiness, you should be interested in this idea of giving of thanks so that you can feed a thankful heart. The second reason this topic is so important comes from the scriptures, and it may be something you don't know. It may be something that surprises you, and this is the way I would put it. An insufficient amount of thankfulness in our hearts an insufficient amount of giving thanks to God may in fact indicate that you're estranged from God, you've never truly been converted, and you don't know God in a personal way. 
Now that may sound like an overstatement. It may sound heavy. Let me say it again. An insufficient amount of thankfulness in our hearts, an insufficient amount of giving thanks to God may indicate that we actually are estranged from God, have never been converted, and in fact, we do not know God in a personal way. Now, how would I come to that conclusion? There are two verses in the scripture I think especially seem to say this, along with the whole theme of scripture. The first is in the first chapter of Romans, and neither of these passages are the main text we'll look at today, just but by way of introduction. In Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul is doing something very interesting. He's describing in the first three chapters why all people everywhere need to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapters two and three, he basically talks about what about those who have heard of God's law? Well, they haven't lived up to the law, and so therefore they need the gospel. But in chapter one, he addresses the issue, what about those who have never heard of the Ten Commandments, never heard of Moses, never heard of God's law? That can't be, they can't be held liable for failing to live up to something they never knew about. And Paul says that's exactly right. But they have known about God through two lesser lights. They didn't have the great big light of God's law and God's word in the Old Testament, which is hugely, hugely important, the Old Testament is. But they did know about God through two lesser lights. One light is creation and the other light is conscience. But they failed to really respond to God appropriately with the knowledge of God that they had. And therefore, they need the gospel. But in Romans 1.21, notice how he describes the life of these people. He says, although they knew God, that is, knew about God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice what it connects. Glorifying God appropriately and giving thanks to him. What indicates that these people have never really responded to God the right way? A lack of giving thanks to God. It's that important. Another passage that says much the same thing is in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, 28, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all. Notice what he connects. Thankfulness and worshiping God in an acceptable way. This is hugely important because of what it says is true in your heart in relation to God. Besides these things from the scriptures, there are many, many wise and insightful people that have talked about the connection between what we're created to be, how God has created us to live lives in this issue of thankfulness, or conversely, what it says to us if we're not. A few quotes to give to you, and I, I don't have these on the screen today, so just sort of listen a little extra closely as I give them to you. When Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving to be a national holiday, he said, we have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation ever has grown, but we have forgotten God. And so in response to that, he declared this to be a national holiday of Thanksgiving. The Russian playwright and novelist Dostoevsky said, if mankind is not stupid, he is monstrously ungrateful, phenomenally ungrateful. I believe the best definition of mankind is the ungrateful biped. G.K. Chesterton, uh, the great literary giant from Great Britain, said these things about gratitude and thankfulness. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. You say grace before meals, all right, 
But I say grace before the concert, before the opera, before the play. I say grace before I open a book, grace before sketching and painting and swimming and fencing and boxing and walking and playing and dancing and grace before I dip the pen into the ink. And then he humorously observes, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. <laughs> Very insightful. But you know, I don't want you to miss the point. I'm not preaching to some awful atheist out there. I'm preaching to those of us in here who would be looking for God or perhaps those who would say, yes, I know God, and yet there is so little thankfulness in our lives. So seldom do we give thanks. It is hugely important. The second question is this. Why don't we experience it more deeply, more genuinely than we do? And my answer to that question will be much more brief, much more succinct, and it's this. We're looking for it in the wrong place. We're looking for thankfulness in the wrong place. And you'll see what I mean as we continue to discuss the answer to the third question. The main question we wanna look at today is this, how can we find, how can we fuel, how can we feed thankfulness in our hearts? And how can we spread it to others? Or we could put it this way, to rephrase the question as you'll see it on the screen, in light of the significance of thankfulness, how can we develop maintain and spread this posture of the heart. Now, I want you to let you know where we're going from here to answer that question. We're gonna do three things in our remaining time. We're gonna look at a text of scripture from 2 Corinthians 2 through 4. We won't read all three chapters. But we are gonna read about 17 verses out of those chapters. Just read them. Most of our time will be spent looking at the meaning and the context of that text. And then finally, just in four or five minutes, the conclusion of the sermon, We'll summarize what I've said by looking at two takeaways, two points to remember, so that you might remember the application of the text. Let me ask you to stand with me, please, as we read 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 2, 3, and 4. Not all of that, uh, by any means, but about 17 verses. It will take about two and a half to three minutes to read it. So I want to let you know that in last week's sermon with Jeff and the last few weeks that Randy's been preaching, and in my sermon today, we were frankly trying to, trying to treat you like grown-ups. That's what we're doing. We're trying to connect passages of Scripture so you see more than one or two, three isolated verses, but you see a context. And so I trust that today you'll uh, sort of uh, roll up the sleeves of your mind, think with me, track with me, and hear the Word of God and what it means to our lives. 2 Corinthians uh, 2, starting in verse 14, and you'll probably find it easier to follow in your points to remember insert or on the screen here as I'm skipping throughout these three chapters going through it. Notice we begin with the idea of thanks. Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we're the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us, notice this, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause what? Thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Would you read this one verse with me out loud, please, before we finish? All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Thank you. Please be seated. And where I, if I were to summarize this message with six words, here is what those six words would be. The grace of God causes thanksgiving. The grace of God causes thanksgiving. But we need more than that, right? <laughs> Let's connect the dots. How does the grace of God cause thanksgiving? Let's spend a little bit looking at the meaning and the context of this text. Now, it's impossible to, to understand these chapters in 2 Corinthians without understanding, I think, Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, Moses has received the Ten Commandments and all of the law from God on Mount Sinai. He comes down from Mount Sinai with the law of God, and as he comes down, he's not aware of it, but because he has been speaking with the Lord face to face, his face is shining with the glory of God. As he comes down the mountain and comes into the camp of Israel, Aaron and all the people of Israel draw back. They've never seen anything like this before. They've never experienced anything like this before. The very glory of God is shining off the face of Moses. But Moses calls them to come back toward him, and he delivers the law of God to them orally and describes it to them. And then Moses realized what's going on and he actually puts a veil over his face because he realizes these people are not able to handle the glory of God that's shining off of my face. And there, from there on, when Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting, he would take the veil off. But each time, in a sense, getting re-exposed to the glory of God, he would emerge and he would put the veil over his face again. What Paul says in this passage is that Jesus is even better Jesus is even better. What happened through Moses was an experience of the glory of God that made people draw back in fear. What happens with Jesus is an experience of the glory of God that draws us toward him, toward grace and truth, and our lives are transformed. Hearing that story that I just told you from the Old Testament, hear these five verses again that I read for you just a few minutes ago. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory. In other words, the giving of the law brought death, not because there wasn't a covenant of grace in the Old Testament. There was. 
there was a giving of grace and a covenant of grace. People were saved by grace in the Old Testament. But what he's saying here is that this delivery of the law brings death because we haven't lived up to the law. And he says, this came with glory. And if that came with glory so that the Israelites couldn't even look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, though it was fading, it went, faded away over time, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And then he says that the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Paul says here, the gospel is what brings righteousness. Righteousness is, first of all, imputed to our account. When we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, he, God looks at the moral account of Bob Cargo, and he takes all the sin and all the indebtedness, and he puts it on to Jesus, and Jesus pays for it at the cross, and then he declares to me all the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to my account by faith and by grace, and that is the ministry here of grace. But he also says here, not only is the, the, the righteousness of God imputed to my account, the holiness of God is imparted to my way of life by the Holy Spirit. As I began to then walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, so to speak, in my life, my life starts being reformed and reflects the, the righteousness of Christ. Then he picks up with the same theme in chapter four, verse five. For we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, get this, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What Paul is doing here is he is contrasting the giving of the law as wonderful as, as it was and the giving of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of the lordship of Jesus. We think of it as good news because if we submit to the lordship of Jesus, it brings good things to us. But in fact, whether we accept Jesus or reject him, it is good news that Jesus is Lord and is the declaration that he is the Lord of all and he is in the process of setting all things right and when he comes again at the end of time, everything will be made as it should be. That is the good news. The good news is the news of the life, death, resurrection, reign of Jesus and reign of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And what he says in here is this. This glory that comes from God is absolutely the most amazing thing in the world. And that glory is found in only one place. It is found in the face of Jesus. What a contrast. There was glory on the face of Moses and people recoiled in fear. There is glory in the face of Jesus and we are drawn closer and we are forgiven and transformed. And here's the amazing thing about the gospel, that when we experience this from Jesus, we began to be changed. The picture here is this, that in the Old Testament, they saw the glory of God on Moses' face and they turned away and they were unchanged. When we see the glory of God on the face of Jesus, we began to reflect that same glory we begin to be transformed into the image of Christ morally and spiritually. It is a very slow and hard process. It will not be complete until Jesus comes back one day. And then we'll be transformed into his likeness in an amazing way. But in the process, we are being changed. The other night I noticed that the moonlight was so very, very bright. I looked outside and in fact, I thought we had left on one of the exterior outside lights, floodlights of our home. And then I realized that's not a floodlight, that's the moon. That's the moon. I began to think more about this. I, if I could have gone out and held up a mirror, I feel certain that I could have seen my own reflection in the mirror from the moonlight. 
Now stop and think about that. The moon is reflecting the, the, the sunlight. And that mirror would have been reflecting the moonlight. That's much the image here. Jesus is the shine, the face of Jesus shows the glory of God. But then when we begin to, fa- to look upon the face of Jesus with faith, what happens? That glory begins to be reflected within us. Our pastor has written a book called, uh, that is about the story of glory. And he is so right. We are made for glory. And 2 Corinthians says, the glory of God is found in one place. It's found in the face of Jesus. So if you want to experience that glory, there's only one place to look. You look to Jesus. That's where you find it. Let me ask you today, where are you looking to find glory? The truth of the matter is we're all seeking glory somewhere. So let me ask you, what is your current strategy to find glory? Are you looking for it from your family or your friends? Are you looking for it through financial success and professional achievement? Are you looking for it in your religiosity, your morality, your goodness, your toughness, your tenacity? Are you looking for it through the applause and the approval of certain people? What is your strategy to get glory? The scripture here says, glory is only found in one place. It is found in God and it's found in the face of Jesus. That's why the apostle John said in chapter one of his gospel, the word became flesh and it tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who has come from the father full of grace and truth. And in light of that, doesn't this make this passage so much more meaningful? 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, Bob, that's all interesting. Old Testament, New Testament, get it. That's interesting theology. How does it connect to thankfulness? How does it connect to thanksgiving? Well, you need to not only understand the meaning of the text, you need to see the context of the text. And here's the context of this text. When the Apostle Paul wrote this, what were his circumstances? Let me tell you, his circumstances were not circumstances that would naturally lead to thanksgiving. His circumstances were not circumstances that would naturally lead toward thankfulness. At the time the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he was being slandered. He was being accused of being a false prophet. He was being accused of not being an apostle of Jesus Christ at all. His message was being rejected more than it was being accepted. His life was full of confusion and uncertainty. He thought for sure God wanted him to go this way, only for those doors to be shut and him to be left wondering what's going to happen next. He was experiencing spiritual pain and emotional pain and physical pain. It was daily an experience of weakness. In fact, in chapter 11 of this letter, Paul talks about his experience as an apostle. And here it is. Five times I received from the Jews the 49 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the mood. I've been moved. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. Tough being an apostle, right? This is a hard job description. 
in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? But if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is the letter in which Paul talks about being given by God what he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, some kind of physical ailment, maybe poor eyesight, some people think, maybe some other kind of physical ailment. But in this book, he talks about how over and over again, he asked God to take that thorn in the flesh away. And over and over again, God said, no, but my grace will be sufficient for you because my grace is made perfect in your weakness. And in this, in this experience, Paul is basically saying, here is my life. My life is a life of loss and weakness. Let me ask you, what is it that robs you and me of our thankfulness? Is it not our experiences of loss and weakness? That's exactly why we don't give thanks. It's exactly why we lose thankfulness and joy. We start looking at these circumstances and we see loss and weakness and loss and weakness and loss and weakness. And all the joy gets faded right out of our heart. All the thankfulness goes away. What the apostle Paul says is this. He says, here is my reality. The reality of the gospel in my heart. The reality of the fact that I am seeing and experiencing the glory of God in the face of Jesus and I'm seeing him transform me. That gives me thankfulness, even in the face of my loss. Yes, I can have loss. Yes, I can have weakness. But there's something more powerful in my life. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Now, how in the world are you experiencing loss? And how are we, the cargoes, experiencing loss? Let me share a bit about our lives we're experiencing loss in a couple of significant ways. Over two years ago now, our older daughter got exposed to toxic mold as she was moving from New York City to Los Angeles. And in being treated for mold, we found out that she also had been suffering from Lyme disease but didn't know it. Her loss of health two years ago has pushed over one domino of loss in her life and one domino of loss in our lives, one after the other. It has been a difficult two years. The other factor of possible loss for us occurred just one week ago. A week ago today, our son and daughter-in-law uh, had born to them our second grandson. That's good news, but the challenging news is he was born at 27 weeks into the pregnancy. Our first grandson, who's now 20 months old, was born at 31 weeks. And now little Clifton, 20 months old, is doing great, and we are so very thankful. But I'll tell you right where we are right now. We are seeing the difference between 31 weeks and 27 weeks. And right now, every day, we are fighting fear and we are fighting anxiety. And what is fear? Fear, as my wife aptly described it, fear is the dread of loss. That's what it is. And so therefore, what am I doing? Every day, I'm fighting to focus on the gospel. Every day, I'm fighting to re-believe the good news of Jesus. Every day, I'm fighting to re-experience the grace of God, and the grace of God is the glory of God found in the face of Jesus. 
and I'm finding that puts things right. That puts things into perspective. The anxiety and fear has to be dealt with, but the power of the gospel can change things. Let me ask you today, what is the story of loss in your life right now? Have you lost a spouse? Maybe a spouse that, from whom you've been divorced or a spouse that just never came along. Have you lost a fiance or a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Have you lost your health as someone who you love deeply lost their health? If you lost a job, if you lost income, if you lost reputation and respect in your work world, have you lost someone to death through that enemy of death? I don't know what loss you've experienced. I don't know what you're facing today that makes you feel weak, but I know it's the daily experience of human beings. And here's what I want us to understand, that there is something that is more powerful than all of that. And the thing that is more powerful, the thing that we possess is this, the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. His presence within us feeds and fuels thankfulness. Circumstances may change. People and things and activities and, uh, and activities I love may be lost to me, but Jesus remains forever, and that changes everything. A week ago today, early in the morning, I sent an email to a group of my closest friends, and I asked them to pray for little Mac, little Mayfield, as his name is, who was born a week ago today. And then as things progressed on Thursday evening, Thanksgiving night, I wrote them a follow-up email, and this is how I started it and ended it. I said when I sent my first email to you all Sunday morning, I was so glad that Mac was born without an immediate crisis that I probably underrepresented that a baby born at 27 weeks really faces one crisis after another, even in the best of cases. Your prayer for Mac, Hayes, Sally, Margaret, Ann, and me will be greatly appreciated. I hope you all have had a great Thanksgiving. I am thankful for the gospel by which my family and I are promised God's love, presence, power, and grace. And my friends, that changes everything. There is an introduction. There is a presence of his love and a presence of his power and a presence of his grace because he is in us. And that changes everything. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, this is not Pollyanna. This is facing reality. He says in these verses, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, he says, I see our weakness. This is no Pollyanna superficiality. We feel the weakness, we feel the loss. This is no heretical health and wealth prosperity gospel. The suffering is real and the pain is real and the tears are real. And I would lead you never to deny those things. It is spiritual to weep tears of hatred because of what sin has done to this world. And currently I hate the fallenness that has invaded the body of my grandson. I hate it. But greater than that, is a source of comfort and joy and thankfulness, and that is the presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over my daughter's illness. He is Lord over my grandson's early birth. He is Lord over every circumstance I face. He is Lord over today. He is Lord of tomorrow. He is Lord of next week. 
He is Lord of my future and my past and my present. And because he is Lord, I can give him thanks and I can trust him no matter what. With all of that being said, let's land the plane to give you two takeaways today. Two takeaways today, two points of application. And they are these. You'll see them on the screen. My own giving of thanks is fed and fueled by daily focusing on, believing, and re-experiencing the gospel of grace. And also, thanksgiving spreads and overflows as I daily spread the gospel of grace. All this is for the glory of God. You know, the truth of the matter is this. Our emotions come and go. Sometimes how we are physically affects our emotions. There are all kinds of things that affect our emotions. But in general, our emotions flow from our beliefs and our actions. And our emotions tell us what's going on deep down inside. We should never be in denial about those emotions. We need to be in touch with those emotions if we're to be emotionally healthy. But those emotions also can often tell us what are the deepest desires of our hearts and lives? What are the idols that need to be addressed? And if I will instead through belief and action, affirm what I know to be true, then I can find within my heart thankfulness. A giving of thanks will most often proceed a thankful heart. Did you hear that? A giving of thanks by faith will most often precede a thankful heart. Sometimes our actions give rise to our beliefs, a liturgy of life. Sometimes our beliefs give rise to actions, but our actions and beliefs together will almost always lead to the right emotion of the heart. One of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation said, the human heart is an idol factory. And I know that's true for me, and I know a sermon like this, and an experience like I'm going through forces me to look deeply at what are my deep desires and what are the idols of my heart, and therefore, how will I respond? So, daily feed and fuel your belief in the gospel of grace. And then lastly, we want to talk about spreading the gospel of grace. We don't have time to do that today, but 2 Corinthians 4.15 says this, thankfulness to God spreads when the gospel spreads. That's what this book of 2 Corinthians is also about, that thankfulness to God spreads when the gospel spreads. Well, I have to save most of that for another sermon for another day, but I will close with just making this one observation. I've known our lead pastor, Randy Pope, for a long, long time. We grew up on the same street together. He started having influence on my life when I was still in, in middle school and has continued now for many, many decades. I noticed two things to be true about Randy. On the one hand, he is one of the most positive people I've ever seen or experienced or known. In almost every circumstance, he will find something to give thanks for, something to see that God might be doing or is doing in the midst of a hard situation. The other thing I know about Randy Pope is that he has more consistently been a person to share the good news of Jesus with people in his life than almost anybody else I've known. And I think these two are like a circle where one feeds the other. Thankfulness to God feeds a sharing of the gospel, and a sharing of the gospel feeds thankfulness to God. And if you and I will be spreading the gospel to others, we will find a thankful heart and we will be spreading to them a reason for thankfulness. And when we see the gospel spreading that way, our thankfulness will increase also, whatever our circumstances might be. By the grace of God, that has been true in his life. By the grace of God, it can be true in our lives as well. May we daily anchor ourselves in Jesus, looking unto him and saying, Lord, change me by letting me reflect your glory.
Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that this message of the gospel is full of glory, that in the face of Jesus, we see the glory of God and it transforms us. Lord, may we trust in you in such a way that we become mirrors of the glory of God that is in your face, Lord Jesus. Lord, I don't know the experience of weakness and loss in the life of every family, every individual that I stand in front of right now, but Lord, you do. And Lord, I pray that in their lives, I pray that in my life, I might face every day of weakness and loss with the confidence in the Savior who is saving me and this Savior who will never leave me and never forsake me. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.